Happy Masters Week, and welcome back to Fully Equipped. J-Well, RB, Gene, Cruz here, and we are here to talk about Masters Week, my favorite week of the year. Boys, I'd ask you how you're doing, but if you don't tell me that you're just doing as good as you possibly could right now, although Gene being the curmudgeon, I'm sure that he could come up with something negative, but if you don't have a positive response for me, I just, I just don't want you to talk, but I should ask, how are we doing? Got my master's visor on. I'm ready to rock. I got my Sorry, master's hat on. Although yeah. it's my Augusta National hat on, as people would say. They're like, that's a master's hat. Nope, not a master's hat. Augusta National hat. There's a difference. Whoa. Big flex there. I'm doing great. Sun's finally out. Everything's great. Weather's going to be better here than it is going to be in Augusta over the weekend. So, you know, it's going to make for uh, it's going to make for an interesting tournament. That's for sure. Yeah. 40 mile an hour or 40 degree nights, 25 mile an hour winds. It's going to be cold and wet and not what you would be hoping to see for the masters. I mean, we all want to see firm and fast conditions. We're not going to get it. We'll get into some of the gear changes. They're not a ton from this week, but a couple that I did want to point out, but yeah, you're right. It's not going to be the normal masters that we, we want to see, which is warm temps and guys putting it off the green. I wonder I wonder if we're going to see kind of a replay a bit of the COVID delayed masters. The that, fall masters? You, yeah, the fall masters, you know, that didn't quite have the drama of the greens that, you know, the uh, traditional spring one does. So it'll be interesting to see if that replicates itself. Very possible. Hopefully not, but yeah, it, it's it's looking that way. So gear changes that we are looking at again with it being softer a lot of the pros are talking about the soft conditions but i've spoke to a couple of reps that are on site and they told me that guys in particular on their scoring tools are going to be going with low bounce and this is an interesting topic probably one to get into but typically when it's playing soft a lot of pros aren't going to go to low bounce and, and the reason being that that those softer conditions, you, you want to engage the bounce sole on that wedge. And less bounce is going to you know, make it a lot easier to chunk those shots in softer conditions. But this has nothing to do with the shaved areas, which is what Augusta is notoriously known for, is these shaved areas around the greens where you need that low bounce to get that leading edge right underneath that golf ball to nip it off the turf. The, the main reason why we're going to see low bounce is because of all the rain that Augusta has received leading up to this week. It's firmed up the base of these bunkers. And so when it firms up the base of these bunkers, it makes the overall sand in that bunker a lot harder and a lot firmer. So that's why you're going to see low bounce. I talked to Aaron Dill, Boki rep, the busiest guy out there as far as wedges are concerned. And he even said the 60T which is a very popular wedge out on tour because, again, most guys week to week are seeing firm conditions at tour events. He's saying he's seeing a run on the 60T this week because guys need it for the bunkers. It has nothing to do with the areas around the greens, just with the sand. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I mean, the other thing is, I mean, we've talked about this in the past, right? Like, people talk about bounds and they just, like, think of a number on the bottom of a golf club. And we talk about Rory's uh, 50, 58, I guess it is. Yep. Like, there's, you can have low bounce and a wide sole. Right. So 
it's just, it's the, the angle that it creates. And then you have effective balance and all these different things that kind of go together because you can look at something like the, the D grind of a Vokey and it's got this very um, large kind of leading edge, like little bit of bounce there. And then there's a lot of relief. So if you just measured the front of that golf club, you'd say it has a ton of bounce or you look at um, Adele wedges, I think of a lot because they have a very aggressive amount of bounce at the front very steep angle from the leading edge. And then they have a, a very aggressive grind. So it does make sense that you would go to that lower balance, especially if you're still going to open up the face because it's going to expose a lot of wide, a lot of the soul. And it's kind of like, again, like skipping a stone, right? Like in theory, a, a stone is just like flat and doesn't have any balance. We put a little bit of angle on it. You're going to, it's going to catch just right. And it's going to you know skip. And that's really it's kind of the idea when you're hitting bunker shots, especially when you're trying to create a lot of speed with those lob wedges um, to get get it in and get it out as quickly as possible. Um, again, especially with the open faces. Yeah, for sure. I think low bounce is also really good if you play in bunkers. And I'm speaking just to those listening to the pod. But if you play in bunkers that don't have a lot of sand, that are that are just firm most of the year, low bounce is usually a good way to go. Although you just have to remember if you don't have the hands to manipulate uh, a low bounce wedge outside of the bunker could prove to be a problem, but in the bunker, not a bad, not a bad play. It's kind of, it's the, uh, it's the one thing that I think most amateur golfers get really uh, afraid of is opening up the wedge and going at it with speed in the sand. Like the number one thing you see people do in a bunker is decelerate. Either they're the two biggest issues are they're either going to decelerate into the into the shot, or they're going to scull at 150 yards. <laughs> like just there's very few little bit in, like there's very little in between when it comes to most the way most amateur golfers are going to miss a bunker shot. But most golfers are going to miss it and leave it in the bunker. That's kind of the biggest fear of most golfers, and it does come down to speed. And when you have less bounce, but you have a ton of speed, you're still going to get that skip and you're going to get that, that sound, right? That was your first sound effect of the day that where it's just going to come out. It's going to, you're really going to feel like it's zipping a lot and it's going to stop quickly. And, and that's what you need to do to get to the, the tucked pins. And also just to get to, to on greens that are sloping a lot, like you have at Augusta, you want to be able to control that carry distance and being able to hit closer to the ball to control that spin is how to do it. Yeah. It's, it is, it is a good way to do it anyway. So low bounce is the buzzword from Augusta, at least as far as wedges are concerned. The other change that I wanted to point out was Justin Thomas. Now this is an interesting one for me because I've, I don't know if it's just this year, but I've started to notice some, some changes with the putter, the putters, at least on tour with guys, you know, we, again, we had this big run on mallets. We were talking about mount usage increasing. I don't think it's really decreasing a whole lot, but we're seeing some big names make some changes with the putter. One being Rory, we've talked about, who's going from a mallet back into a blade. Um, another thing that I've noticed over the last like five to 10 years is golfers going to larger putter grips. Superstroke is is obviously the, the one name that comes up. They're by far the most popular putter grip out there when it comes to the larger profiles and going to a larger profile, the benefits there for golfers, not just tour pros, but weekend golfers is that it helps quiet the hands. So if you're somebody who, who gets really handsy with the putter, it's a great way to help quiet the hands and just work on, on bringing the putter head back and through 
without a lot of movement. Now, if you pair that up with a mallet, that adds additional heel and toe stability. So it's going to reduce the, the twisting, especially at impact. That's a great way to, to really try and get the putter roll, get the ball rolling on a very true line. And it's going to help mitigate a lot of the misses that you would typically see with a, with a blade putter and a smaller grip. But it doesn't really matter because the pros, they're, they're going to go with whatever works for them. So even though Justin Thomas had been using a super stroke grip, he played with Rory McIlroy last week. Rory and JT are both members at Bears Club down in Jupiter. And uh, JT had a chance to roll some putts with Rory's putter that has just a, a pretty standard Scotty Cameron pistol style grip. And lo and behold, he's like, man, this thing feels pretty good. And uh, JT said that he won play with Rory last week. He's seen the grip before. It's very similar to a grip that I've used one with quite a bit. My dad has it on his putter as well. We played on Sunday. I picked up his and I said, this does feel pretty good. I've traveled with an identical backup, meaning his backup X5. He's using the X5 this week, not the not the longer neck Cameron mallet that he's been using more recently. And he just decided to throw it in there and he said it felt pretty good, so why fight it? And so he's now going back to the smaller grip. But I, I just, I love this. You know, we we heard Rory talk about just trying to feel more athletic with, with the putter and trying to to get more into the feel side. Brad Faxon, who he's been working with on the putter side, is, has talked about that before, trying to get Rory out of the more technical, relying on lines, and, and just trying to get back more towards the feel. Now we're seeing JT go away from the larger grip, go back to a smaller pistol style. He's trying to get more of the feel side, trying to get more of the hands engaged. I love it, guys. I love that we like see these trends that we talk about. And then we see guys go back the opposite way, back to the more traditional looks, more more traditional blades, the smaller pistol style grips. Well, the, the interesting thing about that is, you know, one of the things that I don't think a lot, maybe even tour players grasp, definitely not amateurs, but Tiger talks about it. Tiger likes closure. Tiger likes closure in his putting style. So he comes and that putter goes from open to close as he's putting. And that closure gives him that feel. If you have a, a toe and heel weighted high CG um, or high MOI, I should say, mallet with a large oversized grip, you're not going to get that closure to your point. It's going to be more pendulum-like. And... While it's more pendulum-like, one of the things that I've heard, like a criticism, is under pressure, you can potentially block that right, that you don't have that feel that you that you would normally have where you're used to closing it. So um, it, it, it's to your point, Jaywell, it does come down to preference, but it comes down to are you a field player who actually you know closes and rotates and and uses closure to establish your feel or do you go straight back on a pendulum and try to minimize that all and and just get a, a pure plane it, it's um it's fascinating because I, I you know your two case examples it sounds like they're switching back and forth with that trying to determine which one ultimately has the point. best performance yeah such a great point right there gene um it's like what are you what are you looking for and I think you're exactly right. I think they're both searching. 
and they're trying to go back to maybe something that worked in the past. I mean, JT said it. He's used his script in the past on putters that he's won with. So why not go back and see if if switching it up, going back to a smaller a smaller width grip does the trick? You know, the interesting thing that these guys, and I don't know if they do it or not, but it would be really interesting when they're putting really well to record all of the data on these on these putting systems so that when they're not putting well, they can go back and take a look at it and see exactly, do they have more closure? You know, are they more pendulum-like? Whatever their strength was at that time, because it seems like with putting, there's a lot of data out there, but tour players still kind of rely on, you know, performance and, and senses as opposed to analytics, which is different that they do with drivers, irons, wedges, et cetera. And, you know, there might be an advantage there for them to, when you're putting really well, take a record of that so that when you're not putting well, you can go back and see what you were doing um, as opposed to getting a shiny new toy and thinking that that's going to cure everything, which a lot of them have a tendency of doing. It it makes me think of, um, you know, I've heard it before from a lesson perspective as well. Like the best time to take a lesson is actually when you're playing at your best because it gives you the opportunity to talk to someone who's, who's going to help reinforce the positive things that you're doing or go see your coach or go whatever. Right. Because then you have a record of what is good, right. You have this, almost this floor of your, your skill level to try and, you know, work up against versus coming back to it. And the other part of this is these guys, these guys must obviously play a ton together because it, at the, I guess it would have been the waste management when Rory was back from Dubai, the first time he played in the U S and he talked about his wedges, got, you know, he had a couple of Vokies in the bag and he said, Oh, I, I messed around with JT's and put him in the bag. And then, you know, JT's messing around with, with Rory's putter and he, you know, changes up putter grip. It's like, you know, <laughs> you could potentially start a national inquirer rumor and be like, who's going to switch OEMs first. Right. Cause they're going back and forth with each other's gear. Um, but I do think that the the grip thing is, is probably the most interesting because it does come down to feel. I've, I've a bunch of different putters with a bunch of different grips on them. I've tried larger in the past. I tend to gravitate towards something that's like kind of in the middle. Um, and it does, it kind of points back to your release pattern, right? Because, you know, the grip is the only connection you have between you and your golf club. And especially when it comes to your putter, you want it to be comfortable. And I think, I think that's, that's key, especially when you're looking for, for confidence on the greens. But, uh, you know, speaking of grips while we're here and while we're at it, we have, that was a great segue there. Uh, I, I don't want not to call myself on the back, but I was, you genuinely teed it up there. Um, <laughs> we got to let you know that uh, Fully Equipped is brought to you by Golf Pride. And just like we recently talked about here, uh, it is, it's not just you know, something that's on your golf club. It's a performance piece of the puzzle when it comes to putting your golf clubs together. Because as I said, it's the only connection you have between you and your golf clubs and not just with your putter, but every club in your bag, whether it be your driver, whether it be your irons, your wedges, which are all very important scoring golf clubs. You want that connection. You want that confidence. And studies have proven that when you have the right grip on your golf club and you have new grips and you have tack and you have traction, you have all the things that are going to have you confidently gripping the golf club, you can actually add distance as well. I'm not going to say you're making a better golf swing. You know, your golf swing is yours, but I will say you're likely to definitely hit it further. Now, speaking of options when it comes to traction and control, Golf Pride has a ton of different options as far as textures and densities and all kinds of different things. And, you know, 
One of the things they just recently released because it is Masters Week is their honorary starter MMC Align Grip, which offers Such Align a technology in the bottom of your hands. So, you know, you get that reminder. And then you also get the hybrid technology. So you see a cord in the top hand, no cord in the bottom hand. If you're looking for all cord, you can find the Z Grip. And then if you're looking for something more comfort oriented, there's the CP2 and then as well as the CPX, which uses a uh, kind of like that old BMX style uh, texture on the grip to really reduce pressure points and reduce vibration. So when you do happen to miss a shot, everyone does it. Uh, you're going to get less of that uh, negative feedback in your hands, uh, which is, you know, everyone, everyone's going to miss a shot. So, you know, you might as well be comfortable if you're going to miss one. Now, for all fully equipped listeners, you can go to golfpride.com to learn more about all of the grips that I just mentioned, plus more, including putter grips. And if you're there and you're going to buy some grips, you can use code fully equipped, F-U-L-L-Y-E-Q-U-I-P-P-E-D to get free shipping on your next order. That applies to all orders uh, in the United States, and there is no minimum purchase required. So head over to golfpride.com, find out more about like entire selection of Golf Pride grips. I love it. Your transitions are the best, RB. I've got one of those honorary starter grips here. It's, uh, it actually matches my, my white visor right now. I'm quite enjoying it. Uh, I they're like very, a good they're very clean. Like, there's, there's not enough rib grips on the market anymore. I love a good rib grip. Yeah. Those align grips are great because, you know, the built-in rib in the back, that reminder rib, it's, it's always tough to get it just right if you ask for that when you go get your grips built up. And now I've started to see tour pros. Sam Burns is one of them. He uses the Align version. I think Ricky Fowler does as well. But I know for sure Burns does because he he just won match play recently. And uh, we did a, a deep dive on his gear. Anyway, speaking of gear, there's one piece of gear that has been receiving a lot of attention here recently. <laughs> Do we dare go back and talk about the golf ball? Have we talked about this piece of gear enough? Never. Maybe, maybe, not. We, maybe. We, we pretty much beaten it to death. But <laughs> we beat on. it to death. Well, we're not going to argue anymore. Yeah, that yes, is true. Yes, we are. True. It's no fun maybe we if we don't argue. Come on. So, literally everybody on the planet who matters has offered up their take on this proposed model local rule golf ball that the USGA and the RNA are trotting out. With the exception of one man, one man who we all wanted to hear from, but he's he's been MIA, he's been he's been getting prepped for the Masters, and he, we finally heard from him on Tuesday. That would be Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is an interesting guy to hear from on the golf ball debate because he's been kind of similar to Jack, been talking about why they need to roll the golf ball back. But I find this to be incredibly fascinating. Because it really was Tiger Woods who started this whole thing. I mean, if you go back and you look, I, I wrote a story. Uh, if you want to go and, and check it out, the, it's on golf.com. It's one I wrote in 2019 called Tiger Woods and the Golf Ball that Almost Changed It All. And it was about Nike's golf ball and how they were trying to beat Titleist to the punch. And they never were able to make it happen. And Titleist, of course, brought out the Pro V1, and, and that was the end of it. And Nike's golf ball business never quite caught on with the masses. But it was Tiger who switched from the wound construction, the, the wound liquid field-centered construction golf balls that we know, the, the Tour Balladas, the Tour Professionals, a lot of those, a lot of those great golf balls from, from the past. 
He switched to, to a solid construction Nike golf ball in 2000. And Tiger goes on to win the Tiger Slam. The next year at the Masters, a large majority of guys that were using wound construction are now using this solid construction golf ball. And from that point forward, the Pro V1 dominated and that was it. So to hear the from Nike, a guy... The Nike Tour Accuracy T-Dub. Yes. The and there was a Duval version. There was the DD version for Duval, which I always thought was kind of cool. I don't think it ever really sold that well, but uh, those those were fun. I mean, that was... Because he... Um, it was, I think he had a lawsuit a, about that it? golf ball. Remember RB? The the DD one or the tour no, accuracy? the T the T the tour accuracy because they claimed that the golf ball that Tiger was using was the same golf ball that you could get at retail, and so there was a lawsuit from people that claimed that that wasn't true, that they was it was false advertising, and so then that Nike had to actually come out and say, yeah, you know what, you're right. He's not using the exact same golf ball. It's a different construction just for Tiger, but. Yeah, that was the thing is that they were promoting it as Tiger's golf ball. Like you can play Tiger's ball. And at that time with the way the Tiger was playing, it's like you couldn't even keep him in stock. And then people started to realize it wasn't really Tiger's golf ball. That's why you start to see the real fine print on the bottom of all the ads yes. now. Or it used to yep. be like, you know, it's like the, um, it was years ago and I can't remember what, which model it was, but Phil had a, a Callaway ball and it was like, Phil is using a prototype of this ball and it's called characteristic, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's great. It's like, you know, this big on the bottom of the screen. But uh, yeah, it, uh, I think it's it's interesting because the Precept, so Bridgestone, I mean, they had, Nick Price was using a solid core ball. It was like the EV extra spin, which would have been around probably the he same won, time. He but, won a major with it before, before Tiger did, but of course Tiger was the bigger name, but that's a good point. Yeah. And same with O'Mara, like because O'Mara won before as well, and he had the Strata, which was like they had the, they called it the tungsten core, the Great Tour ball. Ultimate, which was that ball was sick. That when you were Strata a kid, ball was, a kid, was amazing. I was a I was a teenager, and you'd like if you found one of those, you'd be like, watch this! I need to go hit my pitching wedge hundred yards and see if I can suck it back on the green. That yeah. to me was always like the really fun thing about the old stuff. Um, but uh, no, it is uh, you know Tiger Tiger came out and sorry, Genie agreed with me. <laughs> Yeah, but the interesting thing about him agreeing with you, RB, is the fact that Tiger benefited from all this technology. You know, from the from the change from from wound to solid construction, he's now you know on the back end of his career, and he's talking about the importance of of rolling the golf ball back. Now he's not he's not saying it's just so much because of of the ball itself. He did admit everyone is going to get stronger, bigger, and faster as generations go on. And with technology, you're going to find, even if you roll the ball back and get a spinnier golf ball, guys are going to maybe go to a four-degree driver. That might be a little bit of a stretch. Uh, He said, you might find a different shaft and you might have one to match up. Yes, I think this should have happened a long time ago. Jack was saying the titles 384 was going too far in the 1980s. But my take on it is that amateurs should be able to have fun and so the golf ball far, but regulate it how far it goes for the pros. But it just, it, to me, I'm like, look, Tiger benefited from this massive, you know, increase in distance. And now he's saying, Oh guys, Hey, you're going to, you're going to need to pull back on the reins a little bit. So I don't uh, know. There's, there's always this interesting correlation that I've found that the golfers, especially the elite golfers that start talking about the rollback are always the ones that are at the sunset of their careers and are heading towards the champions tour. And they start getting a little cranky about right. the distance. And I think it's just, 
And Jack was kind of the same way when, you know, he was no longer the big dog when it came to distance. And very rarely do you see a 20-year-old go, yeah, we need to reel this golf ball back in. It's always a 47-plus-year-old that's going, yeah, I think this golf ball's too long now. Rory's so, the only guy who would actually fall into to the category yeah, of being is, younger he, and longer. He, He's yeah, the only he, one, but you're exactly right. It seems to be guys on the back the end of their career. Yep, yep, he is the outlier for yep. sure. Yeah. But uh, anyway, you know, you know, I was going to say, because um, I know you've got some extra data on this, but because like Tiger was talking about it and talking about just, he fed my soul talking about, you know, hitting persimmon and, and enjoying you needed that validation, that RB. It just, you know, just hit me right in the, right in the soft spot right here. <laughs> it felt so good. Um, but he also talked about like bringing, he brought some Bellata golf balls. He didn't say which model they were. He didn't say any of that stuff. Um, but I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to see what I have in my basement. Cause I do have, you know, not a lot of old stuff kicking around when it comes to golf balls. I know some people collect that stuff. Um, you know, we, I know we talked about it one time. You could buy some Titleist professional nineties for about a hundred dollars a dozen on eBay and new in package, which, uh, I'm sure would be fun. We will, maybe we'll expense that to the company and send them down to Gene to set them up on the 100%, robot. 100%. But, um, but I, I decided to do some of my own testing and used a GC quad which helps track uh, like face contact, um, which which is very helpful. And under like similar, like pretty similar launch conditions uh, overall, which for me is like a little bit of a pull cut. I, um, you know, no, no, no other qualifiers here. I'm not going to you know say that I was, I was playing my best or hitting my best uh, the other day, but I tried to compare similar launch conditions and, you know, to the point of talking about spin and you used to see this way back in the day when people had to pick between the distance ball or a golf ball that would spin around the greens, you'd see these mega low lofted drivers just to get the ball like launching lower with a little bit as, as least as little spin as possible. Um, anyway, so multi-layer golf ball, modern multi-layer golf ball launched at 13.4 degrees and way around 2,400 RPM of spin hit the same ball. And that was at, uh, what did I say? Yeah. 154 ball speed, total carry 269 went to the um, Bellata and clubhead speed was, was slightly lower by one mile an hour, uh, but smash was way down. So uh, ball speed w- went from we got here, 154 to 149 launch angle was actually lower, but spin was up over. Well, so let's say 2,400 to 3,600 RPM. So 1200 oh, RPM more. So like almost 1.5 times spin on the, uh, on the like the average there between hitting two shots under under the same conditions with the same driver and you know total distance was almost 30 yards which to me is insane um you know using the same driver of course you could dial the driver lower or do something else to kind of like hopefully you know tweak it and get ball speed up because you're reducing loft but it, it goes to show that there's a massive advantage to using something like that when you're you're comparing two different products but i know gene you've got hard numbers on this this is just my test you can go read it at golf.com um, but, uh, I'm, I'm curious what your, your results in the past, cause you've tested at different club at speeds, right? Yeah. So we tested, we did a test for Jay wall actually back in August of 2020, um, an article that he ran and here was the interesting part. We ran an amateur driver and, uh, so let me th- see here. It was 95 miles an hour. Actually, I'm sorry, 92 miles an hour, 11 degree launch, 2,700 spin with the pro V1, Distance loss was 22 yards and spin was da, 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 about 600 RPM more. Here's where it gets interesting. You get to the tour level and this kind of, 
this is like one of my argument points against this for complexity reasons. And this data set that I'm going to share with you kind of highlights that we did two tests at 113 miles an hour. We did one test where we launched the ball at about 10 degrees and the other test where we launched the ball at about 11 degrees. We changed the spin on the first test from 2,400 with the Pro V1 to 2,800 to the second. And what we wanted to do there was kind of show, okay, you've got two players, a low spinning player and kind of a mid to a high. I didn't want to go over 3,000, but at 2,800, that's more of a kind of a fade player, slight, you know, slight baby fade that a lot of these guys are playing. Here's where it gets interesting. At the 2,300 uh, 10 degree, we lost 22 yards of distance, which was very similar to the amateur. When we increased it for um, hundred, when we increased it uh, a degree, we lost 32 yards. We lost 10 yards more distance, and so now suddenly, now normally, if we're doing that test, say you know with with the power fade we normally will lose a little bit of distance, you know, Pro V1 versus Pro V1, but it's usually consistent. You've got an extra 10 yards. And the reason for that is that golf ball is flaring now with the higher spin and the higher launch. It's not getting its optimal trajectory and the distance drops dramatically. That's part of my argument against this is one of the ways to get a ball to go uh, shorter is to have it spin more, but in doing so, you aid certain types of players, not others. And I think that that is highly problematic from a um, from a from a, a, a just a favoritism standpoint and a field standpoint. And now you are favoring certain type of players over the other. And I just I, I simply don't think that that's fair in relation to um, the competitive nature of the game. So one of the things that that Arby mentioned was that Tiger brought these baladas to let Rory McIlroy try them out. And I really wish, one, that we would have gotten some numbers on what Rory was with his current ball, with his, with his tailor-made ball, and what his numbers were with the balada. I also wish, and maybe he did, but did he bring any out on the golf course at Augusta? To try them out. I mean, it would make sense if you're if you're kind of prepping. Why not th- bring, throw a couple of those balls in your bag and try them out on the golf course, on the big course, and see what happens. I mean, are, is he going to see twenty five or thirty yards less? I mean, does that make him change his tune? I, I I really think there's more to this story, but I wish we could hear it from Rory's side too. Well, I mean, you know, back to. You know, what we were talking about, so Rory would probably be on like the 22-yard side of the loss, right? Because he pays plays that high draw as opposed to the 32-yard. But let's just say he's at 22 yards. You can map out, I'm sure, with shot link data and see with the current setup what – so just to give you some other information kind of in relation to that, six iron was about – 10 yards loss in distance. Um, the uh, wedge was about 
five yards loss in distance. But here's where it gets really interesting with the wedge. It spun almost, no, it did spin 2,000 RPM higher than a Pro V1. Remember the Ooh. days when a golf ball would land 20 feet past the pin and then go zipping by the pin and go like 30 feet down? They were nice have, and floaty too. You're going to have those type of shots again where these guys put too much spin on the ball. So, but See, I, I love that. I love adding, I mean, if... And I'm not saying that I'm an RB side here. Let me let me be clear. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not so jumping to RB's camp. RB nope. No. No way in hell. I'm not going that direction. Fight. I'm Don Quixote. I will fight this alone. I'm nope. Fine. I'm not. I'm not going to that side. But you know, I almost. I think it would be great to bring back that that zip, that excess zip that some guys get because that adds a little like degree of difficulty to things. Yeah, if you if you it, suck it back, it back or- too much. See ya, you're off the green. I mean, nowadays, all these golf balls are drop, stop, and you're good. Yeah, bring it back for some Thanksgiving special when you're drunk and fat on turkey (laughs) and you want to watch it. Not on a a major. Oh, come on, Gene. You want chaos. Chaos. uh, Go ahead. Sorry. No, but what I was going to say, which is interesting, and, you know, I'd love to do it with, like, shot link data, and Brody stroked gains, you know, if you if you map this out on the course and looked at where theoretically he would be landing and what his theoretical score would be. And, you know, I'm guessing because he's at least two clubs longer on almost every hole that his score is going to increase pretty dramatically. And you could, you know, immediately say, okay, instead of 15 under, he finishes at four or five under, and is that worth watching? And that that's kind of one of my major points is we want to see these guys do things that are superhuman. And by rolling the ball back, they become more like elite amateurs, not the gods that they are right now. Somebody questioned you, by the way, Gene, on social media. Sorry, RB, I know you got a point here, but I, as okay. you're mentioning this, somebody pointed out on social media, they questioned this this whole thing about golfers want to see golf fans want to see the lower scores. And they said, you know, everybody loves to watch the U S open to see these guys get bludgeoned. Who, who says that, that golf fans want to watch these guys go low. And I didn't respond, but I'm going to let you respond because this question was directed at you. Well, and and I think it's, I think it's fair in that we want to see it once or twice a year. In other words, we want to see it at the U.S. Open. We want to see it at the Open, you know, when weather conditions are more challenging. But we don't want to see it at the Valero. We don't want to see it, you know, when we tune in on a Sunday. Um, It's 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 just like uh, I think the thing is we're so super saturated with sports right now. But, you know, you can tune in at any given day and see a B-League basketball game. You know, these guys that are trying to get in the NBA. And you watch about five minutes of it because it's just, unless you're a basketball junkie, it's just not that exciting because they're not the elite level. And my point about the golf ball is it just brings them back to this level where they're going to struggle more like elite amateurs and less like, you know, the, the amazing athletes that they are. And I just, I think sports is about exceptionalism. And I think it truly is about seeing these athletes do things 
with relatively similar equipment to what we're playing and do them at such a level that is just awe-inspiring. And when you take that away, I think you take away a certain level of interest as well. So I'm not, so I think, you know, I'm not going to argue. I think it's a good, it's a, it's a fair point. Um, he wants to, he so wants to right no, now. Argue. I, I he's so, get off Cana- he's off so Canadian. Come on, throw him at me. I'll take I'm it. not going to argue. I think, I'm going to hold it inside. I think the interesting thing, like um, it reminded me when, when you're talking about the spin, John, and like we see it, especially at Augusta, and you see it at other golf courses as well. The U.S. Open is golfers still have a hard time controlling the spin on those like short shots, which I find really, you know, intriguing to watch because you'll see it on the front of 15, right? They, the fear of laying up is you hit a shot with too much spin with a short wedge. And then uh, that's where I was Rory, something Rory talked about for a long time was like learning to actually hit shots where you could, you know, slow down the amount of spin on the ball to get it to kind of skip and, st- and stop versus the, the come in high and, and pull back. Um, I think that was probably, if I was to say one knock on, on someone's career would be Charles Howell. Like, he went full board everything. And yeah, the guy could ball strike his way, but like his wedge game was never very good. It was good. Like it was obviously elite, but it wasn't to the point where like it kind of gave him that, that next level up. And the quote that I always think of, you know, I've already mentioned Phil and now I'm talking to talk about Greg Norman. <laughs> what a, what a, what a group of people. But anyways, um, I get the, the story is Phil, um, Greg was at this, this uh, clinic and someone asked him, they go, oh, Greg, Greg, Greg how do you, how do you hit the seven iron that spins back, you know, 15 yards. Right. And uh, Greg asked him, he's like, well, I just have one question for you. So like, how, how far do you hit your, your seven iron? Cause he's, cause he's like, I want to learn to hit that shot. And and Greg was and the guy responded to Greg and said, I'm hit 145 yards. And Greg said, well, I hit mine 185. So why do you want to spin it back 15? <laughs> Which I always think was very funny um, just in general, but it goes to show like th- there is a skill associated with that. And I think, if, you know, Greg had a multi-layer golf ball. I couldn't imagine what his career would look like to be, to be frank. And there's, there's other players associated with this. Like someone who, who uh, saw major success on the, on the PGA tour after the multi-layer golf ball, someone who struggled with, you know, hitting a shot with, with a lot of curve was Kenny Perry. Absolutely ate up the freaking PGA tour for like four years. when the pro V one X came out. It's insane. Like you just look at it. It's like, decent career and then boom a bunch of wins uh which is fascinating including a Ryder cup right so i think that's uh that's kind of like one of those crazy things but speaking of you know old equipment i guess i love these segues <laughs> we saw something that we teased on social because fred couples i was watching the masters on the range which i love mr eagle eye uh, here i think you were the first one to point out that that club was even on site at augusta i took a picture of like fred on the range <laughs> and your as phone I'm taking, of the as screen I'm, like, as I'm pausing my TV and I'm standing there trying to like frame it where like Fred's lifting up the BRNR burner, obviously, uh, from TaylorMade, I got three messages on Instagram. Hey, did you see Fred with the, the mini driver? And I was like, I'm literally tweeting this right now as I'm like getting pop-ups on Instagram. I'm like, did you see it? Did you see it? Um, and so, you know, we kind of guessed the color might be orange, but it's got the old school orange. Um, I know we might have some pictures or some video tease later on today. Um, which I'm, I'm pretty curious to see, but it's like old school burnt orange burner. It's got the, the black gloss top on it. And I always find it interesting. Cause like, I can remember burner to me was like two, a little bit too before my time as a kid. And then when I got into golf retail, they brought burner back for like the first time ever. 
um, which had the driver with like the arrowy kind of like triangly shape and stuff like that. And burner lived for like three or four years all the way to I think arrow burner, and then they finally just shot it out of the sky and killed it. Long live the burner bubble shaft. Yeah, exactly right. Um, but people love the mini drivers. It's like it's crazy because they don't make a lot of them. People are like, you hear a lot of people are like, these are stupid. No one wants these things. It's a golf club that's useless for a lot of players. And then you get guys on like Instagram, like Drew Cooper, who are mashing this thing at like 190 mile an hour ball speed. And he's, he's obviously a very long golfer or a good player. And you, but for some reason, you know, like a TaylorMade 300 series is selling for more on eBay than it was original retail price. There's obviously people who want this thing. And the nostalgic of the burner I think is going to be something where, you know, this thing's going to sell up fast. It's going to sell up fast and it's going to show up. And people who, who love the name and love the burnt orange, um, it's kind of like, it's kind of like cars, right? Like when I was a kid and like, you know, we get your first car and everyone's looking at like the late eighties cars or the early nineties cars. Like, look at that piece of crap. <laughs> like everyone had the crappy car, but now you see the nineties cars and there's car shows for specifically early nineties cars. And everyone thinks they're like the coolest thing now. Right. Cause it's, you know, you get that, that cycle of nostalgia for people that are able to purchase these things. And I think again, I didn't like the orange back in the day. I always thought, oh, that's what like grandpa's play is the old orange golf club. But now I'm like, sick. I want one of those things. It it's comes full circle, RB. It always the, the does. The things, things that you're like, nah, I would never use that. Now, yeah, they're they're now in vogue. Everybody wants the vintage stuff. Vintage, quote unquote. I, I posted a picture of my Nike retro unitized putter the other day. Which and is awesome, people, by the way. Go check it out on sick, RB's Instagram putter. account. Yeah, and people were putter. like, are you going to sell that thing? And I'm like, no, it's mine. I only got one of them. And you know how hard it was to freaking find one that didn't get banged around without a head cover and a golf bag? Because most people bought these things on clearance for like 99 bucks, although they were like a $400, $500 putter and just threw them in the ba- and bag with a head, with no head cover on them. And they just got beat to hell. So trying to find one in good shape was really hard. And then, of course, people start sending me pictures of their like Tiempo, which is like the Newport 2 style and the Neo, I think it was called, which was a Newport style. Like, you want one, another one? And I was like, no, I'm not going to pay what you're asking for that thing. Yeah. Go ahead, give it to me for RB, free. RB, let me ask you a question. How many golf clubs do you have in your possession right now? Well, I'm in my shop. So give me one. I'm not going to like do the counting thing. I probably got about 20 putters sitting in my, my other room over there. But I have, I believe, like 24 iron sets. Mm-hmm. Iron sets to me um, are like the thing that I love. And I got a bag of wedges back here, some like older stuff. Um, I love iron sets because to me, like it's cool. Like drivers are cool. Like drivers are neat and you know, there's, there's tech in them and they evolve and carbon and whatever, all this stuff. But f- like an iron set has to be designed properly, right? Like you see some really inexpensive DTC companies, or you see stuff from, you know, that kind of like came and went very quickly, but there's something about a really good set of irons. And someone always said this to me one time, and I'm sure my, you've probably, I know you've talked to my tailor a lot, Jonathan. Um, the one thing that stands out with irons is, the ability for people to blend sets that look good, like to actually, and if you look at the transition from a seven iron to an eight iron, that's how you know that someone designed a good set of irons. If you're ever curious to be like, how does the transition go from that seven to the eight to the nine? Cause that eight iron is always that transition club to like slightly more rounded or a little different profile into the wedges. Um, I always think about that. And, you know, I have like, again, I have probably the oldest set I have is a set of Wilson blades and I got some MP 14s and I think I got about seven sets of Mizunos. Um, but I just find it fascinating. I love, I love the idea that like, you know, someone took a piece of metal and made an entire set of golf clubs out of like a solid piece of metal. Not not everything is like a forged blade, but I just think that's so cool because there's still tech, 
there's still like technology that's evolving from forged irons. You still see really cool stuff like the Adam Scott from Mira or, um, which look awesome or all kind of like those kind of things. But I got, a, I mean, I got a lot, Gene. I feel like you, ha- you just get stuff and you're like, I don't really care. Well, I, I feel should, like you, I you, should, you've I, definitely I, seen more golf clubs than I have, but I probably have more sitting in this shop than, than you probably have like ever I, owned. I, re- I return like 98% of mine. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I don't, I don't have the institutional memory that, that you do. Cause it's, I'm a little bit more like a production line. I'm just grinding, collecting data, putting it back in a box. You know, it's always fascinating to me. And I think all of us have talked about it. You know, one of the coolest things that I get to do is I just get the head when we do a club test. I have no idea the tech, no idea the story, anything. And I'm just, and I'm looking at it like aesthetically removed from all the marketing. And then I look at the performance and it's really interesting, the opinions that I formulate and uh, what ends up coming true. And we're not going to name names, but, you know, we saw some clubs, uh, you know, that did some interesting things. And now that they're out in the field in, you know, fittings and things like that, we're starting to get reports back on those clubs. So we really get an insider's look as to which clubs, you know, are performing a certain way and which clubs are performing another way. And it's just all data. And it's anyways, it's kind of cool to, you know, look at that and then see the validation in the marketplace months later. I, 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 this is a a interesting kind of funny story is um, I, an engineer who works at at an OEM, that's as far as I'm going with that. There are no other details associated with this. And they, they send me a message. Like, look, I know you've got, I know you've got like all kinds of like knowledge on like old junk. Um, Have you ever seen any other golf club other than the high bore that had a scooped crown? And I said, PRGR had something called the egg which in like in Japan, which had like this cutout low crown. And I think there was one that even had like super, super low, like flat on the back. And I was thinking, I was like, I've seen it before. Like I've no other than the high bar, which was very cool. And like a driver that was extremely straight, um, although somewhat loud. I was like, give me a, like, give me a second here. Like, I think I've seen this before. And I had this old, but I've talked about this in the past. I have this old book and I've started going through this like page by page and it has like stuff from like hickory era all the way up to around like early 2000s and top flight did a driver that was i think it was wood or like laminate and they had it might have it might have been metal or it was like another type of like polymer kind of in between like wood and, and steel and they actually carved out the bottom it would look like it i mean honestly it looked like a soup ladle um and it's like the, when people come up with this stuff like there's nothing new under the sun like there really isn't and another one too which I know I know to be true because the patent ran out on this, and they will they will tell you otherwise. Um, sorry, Cali, but Zevo back in the day, way back in the day, which I'm sure no one even like recognizes his name, but Zevo had a driver called the compressor, and from the top of the crown to the sole, there was a titanium rod that went from the bottom to the top of the golf club. The driver was about 380 cc's, and so once the driver was finished being com- like assembled whether it was because the face went on last or because the way the sole was like um, put together, cause it was a like multi-piece forged driver head hall. It was again, hollow titanium, early two thousands. They had a rod and it would go in, it would screw in and it would prevent compression. And it would prevent the, the deformation from the sole to the crown. And then 
I think it was 15 years later or whatever, whenever the patent expired and stuff like that, the, the big birth of alpha came out. And then they were like, Hey guys, jailbreak. We figured out this way to like make the crown decompress less. It's like, well, that's just because the patent ran out on the other thing guys. <laughs> and but you did it way better. Don't get me wrong. You did it. That's Whoops. the thing. It's like Michelangelo made the bicycle, but people have made the bicycle way freaking better than Michelangelo ever do it on a piece of paper. So like, it's one thing to invent something and, and create a concept, but as, as the ability to manufacture changes, and the ability to use different materials becomes better, you get better product, right? Cars are better. Cars are more efficient. Cars are safer now. Yeah, Henry Ford, you know, revolutionized the, the, the Model T. But let me tell you, you don't want to take that into a telephone pole at 50 miles an hour. But, you know, you could walk away from, in a Tesla or whatever else car and be perfectly fine. You're going to probably die in a, in a Model T. So technology's improved, but the idea, the principles of making something better and moving center gravities, that doesn't change. That's pure physics. But... The, the materials and all that stuff. That's why I love golf clubs. I just went on this huge rant, but that's why I love all this old stuff because it's fascinating to see how materials and how better materials make golf clubs better. And it's the same reason people say like, how does the T100 look so small and it's so damn forgiving? It's because you know what? There's a lot of freaking tungsten in that thing that you couldn't produce into a golf club 30 years ago. End of story time with Ryan. I love it. Well, to, answer your, to answer your story, Gene, I got a lot of golf clubs. <laughs> I was going to say, he never really gave you a straight answer. Just that he has, he has a lots. lot of putters and a lot of set irons. Lots, of, lots and lots and lots of golf clubs. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, eleven staff bags full of golf clubs. There you go. And there's more. Well, back to the burner. Do we see one go and play this week? Yes or no? I could see one of the old guys maybe putting it in play. Yeah, I could. I could see somebody playing it. It looks great though. And if they're already allowing spy picks from Augusta and guys are testing it, can't be very long until we see this thing out in the wild for, for real out on the PGA tour. And when that happens, won't be long until it's out of retail. Well, next week's Harbor town. It's a short golf course. People are looking for all totally off the tees. Let me Harbor tell town. you, I'm yeah. going to be moseying around that van asking for some pictures of that thing. I know we, yeah. I know we got some cool stuff, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to ask for my own. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that's a great point. Harbor town, great classic golf course. A lot of, a lot of tight tee shots. Don't really need to hit driver. Mini driver could be a great option. I could totally see them releasing it next week. So, um, other than burner, the other one that I wanted to point out was a wedge that I, I would not condone anybody using unless you have a PGA Tour card, just to be clear. But Vokey... But you're going to give one away, right, Jonathan? Aren't you giving one well, away? Well, I am. So I, I was going to mention this. I, I am giving <laughs> one away. So Bob and Aaron Dill collaborated on a 64 degree W lob wedge. Ooh. It's a Ooh. lot of loft. Uh, really low bounce, four degrees of bounce, which is just the only pro oh, that I soul, know. Like we talked about, right? Talked wide about. soul. The only pro that I know that uses four degrees, four degrees of bounce is Brooks Kepka. And one other guy that I love that he shares this wedge with, White Yang also uses a wedge with four degrees of bounce. There's a name that you probably haven't heard in a little while. Anyway, so they're coming out with this Wedgeworks 64W, and they're only going to be 500 made, and they look great in this, this black finish that they have on, on the wedge head, but it only comes in one loft. 
64 degrees. And they had received some feedback from tour that guys were interested in trying 64 degrees. I don't know anybody out on tour that uses a 64. Uh, Phil Mickelson used a 64 for a few years. I think he had a 60 and a 64 in the bag during the masters a couple of years, but nobody other than Phil, I, I think that really uses the 64. So I would be really interested to know who those guys are that were asking AD and Bob for, for that much loft, but it is coming out. And again, it's, it's in limited quantities, 500 pieces globally. So if you want one, go check it out on Vokey's official website, but I am giving one away. If you want to win it, as the pod drops today, it is the last day I'll pick a random winner. So go to my Instagram account, add Jonathan R. Wall, and let me know which of your friends, you got to tag a friend who you think could actually handle that 64 degree, and then I'll give it to you, and then you can decide if you want to give it to your buddy or if you want to keep it. Anyway, all right, before we wrap up the pod, I, I got to ask, since it is Masters Week, I want to pick from each one of you, who are you taking this week? Gene, you take the stage there. Gene doesn't even know who's in the field. He's going to go with uh, with Tommy Aaron. I, you know, listen, smartass. Um, I'm going with, um, I've been thinking about this, actually, because I knew you were going to ask this question, and I knew you were going to goof on me because I am a ghost of Christmas future. But um, I am going with speed. I think it's. I think he's playing solid. I think that uh, he can handle the wind because he's from your neck of the woods, where it's just nasty all the time from a wind standpoint. And I think he's. I think he's ready. And one A is Rory, but I think Rory's putting is still questionable. So I, I'm going with speed. The heart wants what the heart wants, and it's got. It's, I got to pick Rory. I got, I got, like, I'm not, it's, I don't know. I, I, I did it. I said, I, we did our, our picks for on the, on the website and I will not contradict myself. Um, I, I think that at some point Roar, I think he's going to get it. I know he's hitting it. He's hitting it solid. Um, he looks like he's having fun. It's just a weird thing. Like, you know, um, if, again, if I had to pick it like a, a one B and a, you know, a dark horse or whatever, uh, Corey Connors, Corey Connors, I know he's Canadian, but you look at the last couple of years, he has done very well there. And uh, I think he's someone that controls his distance well coming off a win. Again, it's a different golf course, but he has played well at Augusta in the past. And so, uh, you know, I can, I go, I'll go with the Homer 1B. That's Corey Connors. But Hart wants what the Hart wants. I want Roy to win. I want him to I just want to win. It'd be a great pick. I am going to contradict myself because why not? I'm just going to throw two picks out there. So I, I chose Sam Burns because Sam Burns has been playing some really good golf. The one club in his bag that just seemed to be an issue early in the season was the driver. And after watching him at match play, I think he's figured it out. Sam Burns has not played well at Augusta, so there is no history there. But I just have a feeling that he's one of those guys. Informed players tend to play well. I, You know, he's got decent enough odds where it doesn't feel like I'm taking the chalk, but I do like Sam's chances. The other guy though, the more that I heard players talking this week, the one guy that I think has a really good chance to surprise people, Jason day. Mm. I would love to see J day. You know, if you go, if you go back, there was a stretch where Jason day was the best player on the planet. 
And then he sort of fell off a cliff and he's been working his way back. His game looks good. He's played well at Augusta before. He's had some close calls. I would love to see Jason Day get a green jacket. I think it'd be a great story. And it would just go to show that, you know, the guy really worked hard to get back to the top spot. I I think J-Day's the guy that if you're looking for one of those big names that maybe isn't quite on your radar, but it's just there on the fringe, he'd be a good one. Yeah, I, I, I listen to like a lot of golf podcasts. I'm, I'm just a sicko and I love it. Um, it's crazy how many people have really picked up on, you know, how well he's played over the last six months and uh, he's healthy. Again, I think that's the biggest thing uh, is is like for him to be able to, is I, you know, we put a lot of stress on his back over a period of time. He's working with Chris Como, um, bio, biomechanist guy, worked Tiger for a little bit, obviously, and a lot of other players. Um yeah, I like that. I like that. And he's played well here. His record is his record's very good here. And uh I think for someone who is you know as long as he as he was in his prime, God, he hit freaking when he was when he was at the peak, he was like he was soaring. You know, he just got too close to the sun um yeah. with that back. But uh yeah, I think uh, it's a good one. But uh not on mine, not on mine, but I do appreciate it. That was I like uh I think he's he's definitely coming in uh coming in hot. Yep. All right. Well, Zarbi mentioned I do have a couple of giveaways this week. The wedge that'll be ending on Thursday. I'll pick a random winner. The other one I'm going to be picking a random winner for is a dozen of TaylorMade's new picks season opener golf balls. It has an Azalea print and an Azalea picks print on the golf ball. And which Fleetwood is using. Thank you. I was going to point that out, yeah. but I'm glad you did. Fleetwood is going to be using this golf ball, the season opener ball with the Azaleas on it this week at Augusta, which I love. Um, but I'm going to be giving a dozen of those away. I tried to split it up. So the contest for the golf balls is on Twitter. The contest for the wedge is on Instagram. Go check those out as well as our social feeds. Lots of good content coming. RB, as he mentioned, has a story on testing the modern ball versus what he called the vintage, the Blotta golf ball. It's up on golf.com. Go check that out. And through the social feeds, if you want it on Twitter, it is at fully underscore equipped on Instagram. It's at fully equipped golf. Thanks as always for listening. Happy Masters week.